in here. I look like a silhouette <laughs> of a human. Something you see in your doorway when you have like sleep paralysis, you know? You always do. You always look like that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess they carry themselves with a regal stance, but the thing you things you miss when not recording in person, I just laughed and blew a snot bubble out my nose. <laughs> Like, I felt it. It was like a large... <laughs> Hi, I'm five. <laughs> Sup, y'all? How you doing? Welcome to I'm Sorry, What the Podcast. Christina sick again. Fuck, that's fresh. <coughs> <coughs> Death. Death. So, so, Becoming uh... Me. I'm Amanda, by the way, in case you weren't aware, and that is Christina. Thank you for introducing me. Well, poor girl's gonna have to talk a lot today, and her her throat sinus area is not happy. My body is mad at me for having fun last weekend. <laughs> like, why did you have a day of good times? How dare you go out and interact with the human population it is kind of funny i've noticed so after you have like a day of fun stuff you get sick my body decides it's gonna have a headache or get sick before we go to do fun things like almost every single time <laughs> so both of our bodies are like people <laughs> we're just gonna have a physical reaction to it you don't need wow this angle makes my arm look fucking huge do you see that I'm sorry you're so buff. I know. <laughs> What's up? It's not buff, but it looks buff. I'm going to leave it because it makes me feel cool. Well, also, it's just me seeing it, you know? Yeah, I don't care. You know, and I'll look Maybe at you and like, oh, oh gosh, she's Dude, so strong. I look fucking terrible today. I'm glad it's just you seeing it. Should I take a picture? No. <laughs> I'll fucking kill you. So, you're sick, obviously. Yeah. I got had. I'm huh? Sorry, I had to have the Rona test again. Third time's a charm where they, one of these days, they really are just going to scoop my brains out like a fucking lobotomy. I was going to say, your, your sinus cavity must be real empty after all those scrapings. <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor, like, when I, because I did a drive-through test again, and the doctor was like, all right, so this is, and she started to explain it, and I was like, yeah, this is my third test, you can skip that. And she's <laughs> like, this is your third test? I'm like, yeah, I don't enjoy it. And she's like, you could have fooled me. And <laughs> <laughs> That's was pretty like, good. I was like, this is not by choice. I don't want to be here. Um, It's going to be a long ass fucking summer, or winter is all I have to say, that every time I get sinus shit, I'm going to have to get tested for corona, because fuck, man. It's, I mean, it's like at least once a month, you have like a week-long issue with your sinuses once mm -hmm. cold weather starts. So that's it's cool. It's chronic. I've been diagnosed with chronic sinusitis. Oh, is it a chronic sinusitis? It's a chronic sinus condition. Oh, I love how you pushed your glasses up to say those words. <laughs> Even though I'm not wearing glasses? <laughs> uh, well, push up your, your bridge of your nose. <laughs> bridge your nose is if you were wearing glasses. <laughs> All right, let's fucking focus. What are we doing? What are we, what's happening today? Um, It's episode 73. I don't <clears throat> think I actually said that. Um, we're really... So, but it's episode we're, 73. We're on top of it today, guys. Yeah, you know, we both are like, she doesn't feel great. I gotta like, Amanda's get, got shit get the heck to do. Out of here. Um, 
she's got to yeet herself out of her apartment yeah i mean i don't have to but i'd rather not have to talk to people so that'd be really weird to show an apartment that you're currently living in to someone who's moving in like you can be like so this is where you could put your furniture and this is where you cook your food and i'm always afraid that it's gonna be somebody i know and it's like hi so this is my house this is where i live (laughs) not that i want you to know because you'd know if i wanted you to know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so we're both a little not distracted but a little off a little little off i'm fucking way off today well yeah you're kind of not yourself i have no energy this is gonna be a fun podcast no i'm just kidding guys This is going to be so much fun. We're trying to talk our listeners out of listening to this episode right now. We yeah, just... you know what? It's fine. It's a, But I we're... got a good story. Hey. Hey. We're human. It's okay to have an off day. You're human. I am not. I'm neither am I. Wait, what? What? <laughs> so you have a, a great story? Yes. All right. So my 75 episode. Wait whatever my episode i'm doing for this your big my big story. 75 story is like real i mean it's not it's not fun so i was like i'm gonna do an two i survive stories leading up to it and i found one and i was like oh this is a good story but it's too short like it's literally i have three paragraphs here to sum it up and then um so i'm gonna do that and then i'll explain to you how i got to my other story so we're gonna do a quick sum up okay um on November 27th, 2005, 18-year-old April Sykes met with her boyfriend, Brandon McKinn, to go joyriding, which okay. I guess just cruising with her in their car. like Oh, riding the strip. Riding the strip, you know, small town. <laughs> Brandon brought his friend Virgil Samuels, which is a actual, he was a gang member um, who was drinking and who was high when they picked him up. Um, and he knew April's dad was a cop's daughter and he became paranoid that she and Brandon were setting him up. So he snapped, attacked Brandon, locked him in the trunk of April's car, and April heard Brandon say, do whatever you want to her, but leave me out of it. Jeez! Great boyfriend. So Virgil then savagely beat April, raped her five different times over the next seven hours. He choked her multiple times, like, into unconsciousness. And then he tried to run her over with his car stabbed her with a screwdriver and then she pretended to play dead so he locked her in the trunk of the car um then at some point brandon had escaped but they don't he doesn't know when um and he didn't attempt to help april or call the police when that happened um he shoved april into the trunk of her car set her on fire after dumping gasoline on her and then closed the trunk and left her to burn. So she, while on fire, waited for him to leave. Then, as her hands were on fire, because her whole body was on fire, she fucked around in the trunk and found the escape release hatch and got out. It was, like, raining gently, not enough to put the fire on her body out, but she was so out of it that she walked down the highway on fire until somebody found her put her out put her in their car and drove her to the hospital holy shnikes um she had suffered third degree burns to 65 percent of her body she lost all the fingers on her left hand and lost her right arm below the elbow 
She was in a coma for five weeks. But when she woke up, she immediately said it was Virgil Samuels who did it. And he was sentenced to 35 years in prison. And so she now is living happily with her fiance and their young son. So that was like the sum up story. Holy shnikes. Holy shit. She was on fire. Like my number one way of not wanting to fucking die. And she had the wherewithal to disassociate, I guess, from her body and get her ass out of the trunk, walk down the highway while on fire. Like, crazy. Wow. So so while I was doing that story, or what I was reading, and I I really couldn't, there wasn't a lot to that. I was like, she survived being poured, gasoline poured on her and lit on fire. Wonder who else survived that? Ooh, let's see. And then I found this story, but it starts with, he ended up, it was, it's basically a serial killer that was in the beginning stages that they caught him before he could go too far. Okay. So, new story, not the same people, but this, that's how I got to where I'm at right now. Okay. And I thought it was really cool, so I wanted to tell it. So, you get a bonus story. Uh, Woo! Woo! Okay, so in the early hours of April first 2011 um an intoxicated kenya monet wandered through away from her friends at the 24k lounge in denver colorado she left behind her purse her keys and her cell phone and then later that day when kenya had not contacted her family and her friends returned her belongings to her stepfather um, lee found a text message from a man named travis he called the number and arranged a meeting with that guy because they couldn't find kenya Okay. Kenya. On April 2nd, Forbes, um, or Travis Forbes, who was the guy that they called, um, Tony Lee was her stepfather, and a Denver police officer met him at a Conoco gas station. Travis Forbes, who was 31 at the time, stated he offered a distraught and lost Kenya Monet a ride home, um, taught her breathing exercises after she became upset, and then dropped her off and watched her walk away from the closed gas station with another man. Okay. So the police didn't really believe that story. They thought it would be kind of weird that you would pick up a distraught woman and then drop her off at a closed gas station that was clearly closed and then watch her walk away with another man that she didn't know. Right. Like, it just seems weird. Um. Hmm. So for the next 72 hours, their suspicions kind of fell on Travis Forbes, and they kept looking for Monet. On April 5th, Denver Police Detective Nash Garul, um, with the Missing and Exploited Persons Unit, was assigned to the case. Um, That same day, surveillance video of Travis Forbes uh, was recovered from the Southeast Denver Bakery that he worked at, uh, and he made organic granola bars. Uh, The video shows Forbes rolling a large white cooler into the freezer and then carrying in a roll of carpet from his van and then later walking out to the van carrying what looked like a bottle of bleach before he turned off the cameras. So then he turned off the cameras. Oh, very (laughs) suspicious. Okay. Um, Uh. He was brought in for questioning, uh, but without any type of flinch or stutter or anything like that, he recited the exact same story he told Lee days before without any changes to it. 
um, but Gruel didn't believe him. He stated, uh, he could tell you that he climbed Mount Everest with every detail about it, but he'd never been, been there. So he's a yeah. really good liar. Yeah. Okay. He's a straight up sociopath when you... Right. Sounds like it. So Denver homicide detective Luis Estrada also was brought in to assist in the missing persons case because they believed it was going to turn into a homicide. Um, the day he was assigned to the case was the day he recognized, he said it was a homicide. He's like, there's no way this girl's alive. Um, he, he watched the interviews with Forbes and said that every time he talks, he has something to cover up. He knew what he was doing. He had a story and excuse for everything. Mm. So because they didn't really have any evidence, Forbes was released after his interview and the police did not speak to get him again for a month. I don't think they wanted to spook him. Okay. So they never stopped looking at him, but they stopped. Um, hold on. My what? computer, my computer uh, was going to install things if I didn't hit a button. <laughs> I was like, no, oh, not. Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We're busy. Um, <laughs> so. They never stopped looking at him, but they didn't want to spook him. So they stopped like pulling him in for questioning. They were kind of almost letting him think he got away with it and watching and hoping he would screw up. Which makes sense. So one week after Monet disappeared, detectives drove through fields near Keensburg uh, after records showed that activity on Forbes' cell phone was there shortly after Monet went missing they combed through the area on foot, horseback, and helicopters and ATVs, but they couldn't find anything. They didn't find any loose soil or anything weird. Um, they said nothing publicly, uh, as the case was officially still a search for a missing living person, but they scoured ditches, waterways, and even nearby dairy farm looking for disturbed earth, predator activity, and skeletal remains. Yeah. And then during the next five months, they would search that area 15 times and find nothing. Oh, wow. So okay. in mid-April, Monet's parents, uh, Tony Lee and his wife, Maria, asked for the public's help in finding Monet. Um, at the same time, Travis Forbes started talking to local reporters, depicting himself as a good Samaritan who offered a lost girl a ride home. He's like, it wasn't me. I'm just a mm -hmm. nice guy. Uh, what he was really doing, uh, the detectives believe, is trying to find out what the detectives knew by talking to reporters who might have information. Oh, yeah, I so, can see that. He was never named a suspect, but they continued, like, he was really their only suspect, but they never named him as a suspect. Okay. Um, they searched his van, even took the door off the hinges, but the bleach he used to clean the interior erased any, erased any DNA and created a false positive and tests used to detect blood. As they followed leads, police watched him and could, he would continue to meet women, give them different names and talk them, take them out to dinner. They actually would go back and interview, like they'd interview these women after they went out on dates with him. And all of them found him charming and harmless. Uh. Um, they put together his criminal record, which started with minor offenses he committed as a juvenile and then progressed to violent crimes started with burglaries and thefts and moved on to harassment and assault it started to get a little more severe every time he's Which, straight up a serial killer building i was up gonna to be say a serial killer. he's definitely ramping up um 
he believes it was the detectives believed it was the thrill that drove Forbes to more violent crimes. Um, he spoke with two of Forbes ex-girlfriends who described his transformation as he went through like he went from like a charming guy to wanting like creepy and scary sexual role-playing things. Okay. Okay. It, I don't like this guy. Can I just say that already? Like this guy kind of creeps me out. Yeah. yeah. Uh so on April 16th, he was actually captured on a surveillance video at the gas station in Hudson, a few miles from Keensburg, and detectives wondered whether he was possibly checking on a grave. A search of the bakery's computer revealed he had checked missing persons' websites, and then he had actually quit using his cell phone then. So on May 4th, uh, Forbes was arrested in Austin, Texas, on suspicion of auto theft. Uh, they actually, the detectives flew to Austin and interviewed him for more than three hours. Um, but before Gruel arrived, Forbes called a friend in Colorado and asked them to watch local news stations for reports about a body. Uh, before the arrest, uh, the Denver Post published a story detailing the search warrant for the bakery surveillance video. So, like, this is back when they were still, like, because I had said five, they went for five months searching that area. So this was back still, mm-hmm. like, a month after she had okay Um, disappeared kind of like a time overlap yeah okay so the day after monet disappeared someone saw forbes burning items in a barrel in austin he told garul he was burning moldy marijuana in an attempt to cleanse his past (laughs) okay it's not that's not how you it's what huh Uh, at one point forbes said he laid his head forbes laid his head on the table in frustration and he later prodded the detective by asking why he hadn't arrested him yet. Then Forbes leaned back and said, you guys were so close, but wouldn't talk anymore and ask for a lawyer. Uh, so he's also semi-showboating for yeah. just the sake of trying to look like he's super smart. Right. So then they presented him with a search warrant and collected a sample of his DNA. So um, he was... Basically, he stole a friend's car, so the friend uh, declined to press charges, and he was released on June 30th. Okay. So, a month later, on July 4th, 2011, a stranger followed 30-year-old Lydia Tillman home after a fireworks display. He forced his way into her apartment, assaulted her so brutally that when he was done, he assumed she was dead. He'd beaten her, raped her, stomped on her, and strangled her. He oh then my, doused. Oh my god, I can't. Ow. Yeah. Okay. I'm just. I got. I got more to go through. So I'm like. I yeah. know you're like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Um, he then doused her body and apartment in bleach, and then set fire to her bedroom where she lay, presumably dead. Lydia regained consciousness and was able to throw herself out of her second story window. She landed on the concrete cement below. Uh, She had been strangled so violently during the attack that a blood clot had formed and shortly after her escape, she had a massive stroke. Oh my gosh, okay. They had assumed she would die due to the extent of her injuries, explaining that the damage done to her body was indicated. Indicative, 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 
there we go. I'm like, indicative? Nope, that's not right. Indicative. (laughs) (laughs) And then she needs to cough because she left. (laughs) Sorry. You're good. (laughs) Um, Of a high-speed car accident without a seatbelt. Holy shit. Uh, Her lungs were bruised. Her ribs were broken. Her brain was bleeding. Her eye sockets were both crushed from the fall. And her jaw had been shattered in a dozen places. Oh, holy smokes. Yeah. Um, She was kept in an induced coma for over five weeks. And when she awoke, she completely lost her ability to speak due to the extent of her brain injuries. Um, Poor thing. Oh. So, Detective... Jacqueline Shackley from the Fort Collins Police Service arrived at Tillman's apartment that morning. Uh, For over 48 hours, they basically had nothing to go on. Um, Mm -hmm. Couldn't figure out what the connection was. She had only, Tillman had only moved to Fort Collins about four months before she was attacked and had very few friends in the area, if any at all. Oh my gosh. Uh, Three days after the attack, Uh, Shackley learned that Fort Collins police had on July 1st received a report of a suspicious man and she wondered whether that report might be connected but before they could find him she was contacted by Denver police who were conducting surveillance on that same suspicious man Travis Forbes Uh, bitch gonna get you gonna get you bitch (laughs) I actually put in parentheses because I thought no, I actually put in parentheses because I thought you would go, this bitch. <laughs> I mean, close enough. Go get you, bitch. <laughs> I almost like so that funny. one better. Oh, they're going to get you, bitch. <laughs> um, and asked the Fort Collins to back off because he was a subject of a homicide investigation. So the Denver police were like, hey, don't fuck this up for us. Right. Don't be getting all... <laughs> lead footed and running in here and wrecking everything we've been working towards (laughs) right so they got wind of denver's interest in forbes recognized the similarities in the attack on tillman and the monet disappearance and then called nash garul they discussed details about their cases the two main similarities similarities Similarities? that's i know how to say that word i just (laughs) I'm so, your tongue's broken today. It's She's fine. not working. The similarities were fire and bleach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, be, obviously, just in the same case where Monet's case, where the van had been cleaned with bleach, uh, Tillman's attacker started a fire in her bedroom and used bleach to watch the evidence offer. Uh, but he didn't do a thorough enough job because when Lydia Tillman survived, so did the DNA under her fingernails. Dun, dun, dun. Boom, bitch. bitch. We gonna get you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> they gonna get you, bitch. We gonna get you. Um, so about 2 a.m. on July 10th, Fort Collins police followed Forbes to bars in Old Town where he stashed his bicycle and a backpack. As the bars closed, Forbes walked to a hot dog stand and started juggling glowing balls. Huh. (laughs) Just a man of many hats, huh? (laughs) Make me a bicycle clown. (laughs) (laughs) 
was gross sounding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That was just my first thought. Juggling. Why? Why are you juggling balls? That's weird. Although he's not wrong because if I was super drunk stumbling out of a bar, the first thing I would do if I saw a man juggling glowing balls would be like, oh my God, he's juggling glowing balls. <laughs> why are they... Wh- why are they glowing? <laughs> Look at him, he can juggle. I want to juggle. I was, uh, I saw a meme the other day that was a teacher. After outside time, I yelled at a bunch of preteen boys, hey, sanitize your balls. Yeah. Basketballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like that time on St. Patrick's Day when that dude came just up. Just had a he ferret? Had, he just had his ferret. Just a ferret. And he was, was walking, he had, like, the ball, the, like, glass ball that he was, like, floating and stuff, and then all of a sudden a ferret popped out, and I was like, you have a ferret? Look at this guy, you're a whole character, huh? <laughs> you just got a whole bunch of stuff in there, what else you got in there? <laughs> <laughs> you wanna see my dick? No. The dick in a box? <laughs> I got my dick in a box. Alright, so, <clears throat> back to- Back to the story. story. <laughs> um, there were several women who wandered out of the bar and started talking with him. One woman talked with him for about 30 minutes before walking alone with him toward a dark neighborhood. Officers followed the two for a few blocks uh, before separating them and stopping Forbes for questioning. Forbes, who told officers his name was Travis Kennedy, was released. He returned to his bike, changed his shirt and hat, and within minutes, police watched as he started following a visibly drunken woman as she stumbled into a dark neighborhood alone. Worried about that woman's safety, police arrested Forbes for lying about his name, but they did not tell him he was a suspect in Lydia Tillman's attack. Okay. Um, While Forbes waited to bond out, lab technicians with the Colorado Bureau of Investigation worked through the night comparing DNA found on Tillman to the DNA sample that Nash had collected from him in Austin. And at 10.45 p.m., Forbes moved to the front of the line in jail and was minutes away from posting bond. And at that moment, they confirmed the DNA match and he was rebooked on suspicion of attempted murder and arson. Got him. Got you, bitch. Got him. Uh, After waiting for more than a month while building his case, Nash Gruel drove to Fort Collins on August 26th to interview Forbes for the third time. Forbes refused to speak with police after his arrest in Fort Collins, but he immediately agreed to talk with Nash Gruel. He said, I will tell you everything, but I want a deal. Uh, Of course he does. The plea deal was to avoid the death penalty and to not be marked as going to prison as a sex offender. Because in, in prison, if you're a sex offender you become the victim you <laughs> you endanger <laughs> along with your butthole right so that was the deal is that he didn't get the death penalty and they didn't note him down as a sex offender when he went to prison okay all three detectives who tracked forbes for months credited lydia tillman with solving the case because if girl. she hadn't fought they wouldn't have solved it it's so um on September 7th, Detective uh, Nash Gruel and then Estrada and Shackley all rode with him, with Forbes and his attorney. During the ride, he was so nervous that Forbes would change his mind that they couldn't look at him. When they got to Hudson, they, he thought, I hope there's not a train. Is he going to change his mind when we get to the train tracks? Like, oh, they didn't yeah. want anything to stop them because they were afraid that he would change his mind and not show them where they could find right. Kenya. 
So they rode in the backseat with Forbes, who talked about running marathons and organic food <laughs> as they <laughs> approached the site where he had said he buried Monet. He began crying and drawing long, deep breaths, walking toward the small grove of trees. Um, they recognized the site. They were less than a half a mile from it during their searches that they had been spending searching for the last five months. Oh my gosh. How frustrating would that mm-hmm. be? Like we were so close, but we stopped just short. Right. Um, so Forbes walked over to a berm, pointed down and said over to your left a little bit right there. The ground was flat. Monet's body was found about four feet deep, taped in the fetal position and draped with a plastic tarp. Taped in the fetal position? Mm-hmm. I hate the visual I got in my head for that. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So, um, while Gruel drove back to Fort Collins, Forbes, um, it was, it was weird. Like, it's like Forbes fixated on Nash Gruel because he would, he like stared at him the entire drive home in the rear view mirror and kept asking, are you happy now? Are you happy you found her? Are you happy you got her back? Like seeking his approval. Did, was it something like he thought he was the head of all this stuff? So he wanted him to see him in a different, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. know. That's so weird. I just okay. find that incredibly creepy. Yeah. So on September 26, he pled guilty to murdering Monet. And as part of his plea agreement, he avoided the death penalty and was sentenced to life in prison. The next day, he pled guilty to attempted first degree murder in, um, the Lydia Tillman case and on October 21st he was sentenced to 48 years in prison for the attack on Tillman he cried in both courtrooms good for you I just find it creepy I didn't say this before but they arrested him as he was hunting his next victim yeah no that's isn't that what they were when he was like right followed her into the dark right but that's just it's just creepy to me that they like he was deaf going to do this again. There was nothing. Yeah. And that was like, it, turn, it wasn't... On, turn on the waterworks thing. I bet you it was like super over the top too. It wasn't like I teared up kind of because I was thinking about everything. I bet you it was like, yeah, everybody's going to know I'm sad because I'm so sad and I'm just right. I'm so guilty about all of this. And oh my God, I just want to punch him in the face. I'm going to be honest with you. I just kind of want to punch this guy right in the neck. <laughs> So I'm going to end it with um, some words from Lydia Tillman. So in court, Lydia Tillman's father read out a statement that Lydia had prepared for giving Forbes. She wrote, Travis Forbes, you caused me no harm. My spirit and my soul in my mind and my mind remain untouched. And that was her like victim's impact statement. And then later in an interview, they... Um, she said it was during his sentencing that I was able to forgive him at first I felt extreme anger toward him then I felt sad for him he must be in so much pain to be so brute to so brutally hurt another human thanks to at least due in part to the stroke I know that to forgive is easier than holding on to anger faced with a life in love and forgiveness or a life in fear and hatred I embrace love it was easy that was my that way my anger is my own I only have to look inside myself to discover answers. I feel my life prepared me for this until the moment the attack occurred. I don't consider myself as a victim nor a hero. I have a strong will to live that served me well during the incident. I was fighting survived to survive, and that is all. Aww. So for about six weeks after the in- 
um, incident, she went underwent intensive rehabilitation in speech, occupational, and physical therapies. She continues to do therapy uh, five days a week, but she can talk yeah. now, and she's yeah. Wow, that's the case. She's so uh people that have stories like that. I'm always just in awe of them. Like I get dramatic when I stub my toe in the beginning of the day. Uh, yeah, I like. You know what I mean? I like like to believe that I would be able to survive something like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm a baby when I have a cold. So. Well, and that's I'm like you know I feel like I could <clears throat> if I was put into a circumstance where it was the only option was to be right. strong and to do it. Um, but then at the same time I'm just like sometimes I don't even like carrying things down the stairs so I just don't do stuff I'm like this has to get done I'll just wait until I have to do it you know right no I'm the same way man so wow good for her what a gal I thought that was a good story that is a good story good job oh thank you you're welcome I have your to thank be. you sounded so sincere <laughs> Oh, thank you. Oh. I have to pee. Thank you. I have to pee. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to tell you about Gloria Dawn Collins. Does the name ring a bell at all? No. Me neither, man. Okay. Um, so when I read it, me. right when I read it, I was like, I have no idea what this would be about. So look it up. And I'm like, oh, it was spring. And it took a while to find it, too, because... I looked up the name and it kept pulling up these obituaries and I was like, no, I need one that was a true crime. And then I was like, I know it's in Canada because I put dash Canada on my list. That's, this is literally how I make my list. I'm really cool. Um, so it was spring of 1967. We don't have the same decade again. Weird. Weird. Uh, <laughs> Gloria Dawn Collins was 27 years old at the time. She lived in Port Moody, British Columbia, Canada. Um, She was a secretary for a president of a distillery in Vancouver. So it's like right in the, right next to Vancouver. So her father was also a very well-known jazz musician in Canada at the time. Or, well, he was a pianist to be exact, but... Yeah, so he was well known. <laughs> Bless you, my child. Sorry. She's dead. That's it. He was well known. That hurt. <laughs> don't, hey, don't worry. This isn't super long. So okay. can, you can go to sleep or something after this. Okay? No, I'm not. It, I My sneeze was just very painful. And that's, <laughs> like, shocked me. <laughs> so, uh, uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so According to all the sources that I read, which were not a lot, it was basically just, like, newspaper clipping Mm -hmm. from the time that were uploaded and a couple, like, random articles that were written about it. And, yeah. So a lot of it, I'm like, I don't know how much I believe the source because there wasn't a lot of, like, actual law things that I could find, like, judicial stuff. But, you know, interesting story nonetheless. So, according to all the sources I read, she was very well-liked, had a lot of friends and acquaintances. Like, no matter where she went, it seemed like she could make a friend there. 
Okay. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. everybody was kind of just drawn to her. Uh, she was casually dating a few different guys, but she wasn't like steadily dating any one person. Um, you know, she's just a girl in her twenties kind of meeting people. Just um, a small town girl. Just a small town girl. Living in a lonely Living world. Living in a lonely world. Thank you. Yeah. She yes. took the midnight train. She's going going anywhere. Okay. So thank you. I know you can't do it right now. There you wise you would. Would. I would I rock know. out to journey in a heartbeat. Right. So now April 1967. She went on vacation to um Fullerton, California. She was staying with some family friends uh in their ground floor apartment, okay? So it sounds like it was kind of a like long vacation, so she left in April and didn't wasn't even planning to come back until the 5th of uh May. Okay. So it was at least a week if not more. Mhm. Um but while she was on vacation, as she seemed to do everywhere, she made a few friends. Um, and the plan was for her to drive, to drive. <laughs> uh, this, it's May, not March. Why am I putting March? Silly me. Anyway. Get your shit um, together. Well, I just reread it and I was like, why did I write March? Uh, so anyway, so she, the plan was for her to fly out May 5th. And so on the 3rd, they wanted to hold a farewell party for Gloria since she had made some friends and, you know, just kind of to say goodbye and mm-hmm. celebrate it one last, like, hurrah. So in total, 13 people came to this party. The last guest left right around 3 a.m. And Gloria got ready to go to bed herself. Okay. So last guest leaves. She goes to her room. She walked into the bedroom that she'd been staying in. And this is where it is believed, because no one really knows what happened. A man, possibly a party guest, is what they guessed, was hiding in her closet. Mm, I don't like so, that. No way. Yep. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. So no. she got ready for bed, <gasps> went into her room, Mm-mm. and then he snuck out and attacked her in her own bedroom. No, I don't like that. I know. I thought that was very creepy. I don't I'm really like glad it. my closet doesn't have doors on it. Right? I never close mine, so I'm just like... Come at me, bro. Where are you going to hide? Huh? And then you go in your room one day and there's a <laughs> closet. <laughs> you, go, you go in your room one day in your apartment, the closet doors are closed and you're automatically suspicious. Well, see you later. <laughs> I'm just going to go over here and clean my gun. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so right around 8.30 that next morning, Gloria's body was discovered by the people she was staying with. Mm. So it clearly wasn't very loud or she was like incapacitated right away because I wonder if he attacked while she was sleeping, like she had fallen asleep. Um and then he terrifying. attacked because it was so quiet, it didn't wake anybody up. Um, that could totally happen to me. No, legit. You know, you were giving me shit last episode about it. Yesterday, my dad left for his doctor's appointment, and I fell asleep on the couch. And I woke up at three o'clock. And I went in my dad's room, and I was like, You're home. When did you get home? And he's like, Dude, I got home at 10 30. I made myself lunch, I watched news. 
I played with the dogs in the living room and you didn't move a muscle. She's like, he's like, the dogs actually jumped up on you and then jumped off you and you didn't move. I was like, oh. (laughs) For real. I just gave you shit about that, how you don't wake up. I was like, girl, you. I just fall into a light coma. It's not. Uh, So that's what I'm guessing happened just because nobody woke up. And it was only like a five hour span because she didn't get to bed until after three o'clock in the morning. And then she was discovered at eight 30. So Ugh. there wasn't a lot of time between the two for something to happen. So I'm thinking it had to be something like fast and mm-hmm. fast and quiet. So it was first believed that she had been stabbed to death um, because she had suffered dozens of stab wounds. Uh <laughs> In an article from the from that time, they said that she was stabbed at least 50 times. Jesus. Between her chest, her neck, and her head. Jesus. Uh, but after going to the medical examiner, it is shown that her cause of death was actually blunt force trauma to the head. So she most likely survived the stabbings. Go ahead. No, I, it oh, went okay. away. <laughs> okay. I was like, I see your sneeze face. Um, so went away, she, though. <laughs> She most likely survived the stabbings, and then either she was knocked in the head and it caused her, like, brain damage then, or right before she started getting stabbed. So that that was the cause of death, was the brain damage. Oh, that's so weird, because, like, when you're stabbed almost 50 times between your face, head, and neck, there's so many arteries and shit that you had to miss to not kill her that way. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where I'm wondering, okay, so this is... Maybe she was hit and knocked out. Right. So this is kind of the weird thing about it. Um, They also found that the instrument that she was stabbed with was kind of strange. It was something like a meat fork, those two-pronged forks. So she technically was only stabbed 27 times, but they times that by two when they were doing the estimation of stabs when they were looking at the wounds. (gasps) Um, so technically she was stabbed 27 times but it also means that it wasn't a super deep or law like yeah earthy stab so that might be why it didn't kill her you know what i mean um neither of these murder weapons were at the scene though uh and they were never found so they weren't sure what what was the heavy object that she was hit in the head with and not sure where the meat fork came from. Um, lots of different random theories, but we're kind of going to go down Aliens. The, ones, the one side that was the biggest thing. Aliens. Um, aliens. No, silly goose. <laughs> so there was no sign of sexual assault, but the police think that the murderer was either, either tried to talk into sex or um, attempted to rape her and she fought back which caused him to lose his temper and stab her so many times so what they're thinking is she like I think she must got knocked in the head he attempted to rape her but she wasn't like knocked out knocked out and started fighting her and then he lost his temper temper and but I don't know for sure Okay. okay. But there's no sign that any physical like penetration actually happened in that sense. Not a good enough reason to use the word penetration. Might be. How else are you going to say it? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. So 
36 hours later, the police arrested William Thomas, Thomas Blakeman, 25 years old at the time. Um, Blakeman was from Vancouver as well, which is kind of weird, but mm-hmm. he, the last six months, he had been living in Seattle. Uh, he moved there for a job. So he lived in Seattle, Washington for six months before the murder. Um, he was in Fullerton, California at the time for training for that job. And he had been there for about two weeks and had never met Gloria except for when he attended this party. So he came to the party, hadn't met her before, and he just got arrested. Mm. So Blakeman was questioned for 11 hours or so. Um, He had a semi-flimsy alibi that he was sleeping because that's, I mean, it's four o'clock in the morning. He's like, um, I went to bed. Right. Uh, so he, it was just one of those things that they were like, you're kind of the odd one out with these party guests. So we're thinking it's you. It's gotta be uh, you. Yeah. When he was taking in, the police collected his shoes and his clothes from the night of the party. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a single drop of blood on his shoe and then they also found like minuscule amounts in the weave of his sweater he was wearing but like if you that much yeah (laughs) exactly you know (laughs) was he naked when he stabbed her and then put the clothes back on because if you stab someone that many times there's going to be blood girl this this guy i feel got railroaded i mean it's probably the aliens it probably this is gonna be the theme throughout the story it was the aliens it was definitely the aliens so the blood was tested for type because it was the 60s and that's all mm-hmm. they could do and they found that it was the same blood type as gloria and they were like there we got them no how about many them? other people have the same blood type as her that doesn't <sighs> you're stupid i know stupid just within like days she's stupid just like my father was a brilliant man <laughs> Okay, so uh, within days of Blakeman's arrest, a woman contacted the police named Ruby Tweedy. Yes, Ruby Tweedy is her name. I had to, like, listen to a little snippet documentary of it so I could hear how they, like, if that's actually her name. Yeah, it is. Everything said Ruby Tweedy. I was like, interesting. So interesting name. (laughs) She said that right around the time of Gloria's death, she was driving past the apartment building in which they were Gloria was staying in mm-hmm. and a young man appeared out of nowhere in the road and forced her to stop her car he climbed into the car and then he threatened her with what she thought was knife and told her to drive home once they got to um Ruth's house he forced her inside and he raped her <gasps> When he finished up, he just got up and he left, according to Ruby. Oh. Um, the police thought it was very improbable that there were two violent offenders in the same area at the same exact time actively assaulting women. Mm-hmm. So they concluded that the killer of Gloria was most likely also the assaulter of Ruby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruby ID'd Blakeman as her attacker. Ruby testified in the preliminary trial 
a few days later, Blakeman was indicted for first degree mur- murder. 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 Um, first degree murder for Gloria, along with sexual perversion and crimes against nature for Ruby. Okay. Um, right. But before Blakeman's actual trial, the judge ruled that there was no evidence to show that the death was, in fact, first degree murder. So he was sent to trial for second degree murder. And the charges on the attack or for the attack of Ruby were dropped for lack of evidence because Ruby is just literally just saying this happened. There was no mm-hmm. actual evidence. evidence of anything happening. Um, Ruby went missing after missing after she testified the first time, but it is believed that she um, that she left on her own free will. They think mm-hmm. that after she had said that and it was dropped, she was like, "I'm out of here." Basically. Yeah. Um, all that is known is that Blakeman was in jail when she disappeared, so we know she's, that he's not responsible for that, mm-hmm. if it is something that's questionable. Um, before his trial began, there was another accusation on Blakeman. Mary Wood, from Seattle, uh, read about Gloria's murder and recognized Blakeman, Mary lived with her 12-year-old daughter in Seattle in an apartment, and on February 9th of 1967, about three weeks before, so right before he would have left Seattle Mm -hmm. for this training, um, Mary had her friend Carol over. Um, She stayed overnight and slept in the same room as Mary's daughter, because there were two, like, twin beds in that room, so it was, like, guest room and her room. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Mary woke up in the middle of the night to sounds coming from her daughter's room. She went into the bedroom where she saw a man kneeling by one of the beds. And the man noticed her and started coming towards her. And that's when she saw that he was holding a knife. Um, she says that she pleaded with the man not to hurt them. And she said that they just kind of like stared at each other for a minute um everything that I read she's like it was kind of weird because it was like time stood still and we just kind of like looked at each other like summon each other up and it was like he was Mm -hmm. making a decision on what he was going to do next and right like out of nowhere he just like lowered his knife and he passed by her and walked out of the apartment so I mean it sounds kind of similar to Ruby's case where it was just like he got up and left but Mary locked the door behind him and went back to her daughter's. So I'm wondering if her door wasn't locked because it was the 60s and, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people didn't lock their doors. Um, So she went back to, like, attend to her friend and her daughter. And they had both been stabbed (gasps) and struck with heavy objects. So that's also very similar to Uh um, Gloria's case. Uh, Her daughter was stabbed three times one of which punctured her lungs. <gasps> and Carol was stabbed 27 times, which is the same amount as uh, as Gloria, by <gasps> the way, I noticed, but I didn't read that anywhere that it meant anything, but I thought it was interesting. Um, and she was stabbed in the head and chest, just like Gloria as well. Oh. They both survived, <gasps> so that's good. Um, but were unable to describe their attacker because of the... Um, wounds to their head basically they lost their memory of the night mary on the other hand knew that the attacker was blakeman she said 
because she had stood there and looked at him for like a minute waiting to see what he was going to do. Though they didn't have their own trial, it was allowed for her her and Seattle detectives to testify in Gloria's trial in California. Yeah. Even though it's not necessarily connected by any sort of evidence other than just similarities. Well, and her all similarities and her just saying, yeah, that's the guy. Like so many, there's so many miss identifications. Like it could be, but you can't do that. That's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. I know it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. So the evidence was all mostly circumstantial, obviously. Um, the most damning thing was the blood on the clothing and that there were also fibers found on Blakeman's clothes that matched Gloria's bedroom. Um, the district attorney, though, believed that all of the circumstantial evidence was enough to make a case against him uh, with the fact that Blakeman was the prime suspect in another stabbing very similar to the prosecution's. The prosecution believed that he could be convicted. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, the defense... I mean, with murder cases, if you have enough circumstantial evidence to make mm-hmm. it undeniable, you, that could work. But if all you're working on is, like, flimsy circumstantial evidence, and it's... Girl, it's... It's, it's, it's very flimsy, like you said. I know. I mean, I don't necessarily think he may not have done it. Like, right, it, it seems like quite a few coincidences in this case to make it seem like it's probable or plausible that he did it but also it seems like the detectives didn't really do that much detective work they just kind of like see see would you look at that that's the kind of work that it seemed like was happening see would you look at that look at that look at that um so the defense said that they had never he was never charged for the stabbings in seattle so it shouldn't be able to be used as something against him which Which is true i agree um blakeman said that the blood was explainable as well first the blood was first of all it was minuscule Mm -hmm. at most it was literally invisible to the naked eye that was on his sweater like it could have dripped on it and been washed off and that's the amount of blood they found on the sweater Right. Uh, Blakeman said that his girlfriend in Seattle was prone to nosebleeds, and so that would could explain the drip on his foot or near his foot and getting mm-hmm. on his shoe, or even getting on his sweater. And when she was tested, she had the same blood type as Gloria. So it's right. it's it's explainable. That's mm-hmm. I feel like in that case, that evidence there's a reasonable is nothing. There's a reasonable doubt. Exactly. Um. Plus, there was no refuting that he was at the party on the same night that she dis- that she disappeared, that she was killed, mm-hmm. um, which could explain the fibers. Like, just being in the same place where the fibers are, any mm-hmm. transfer fiber can happen. Right. So, it's like, guys, Again, come on. <laughs> it's, there's reasonable doubt. Well, and it's the way that everything's set up is so that non-guilty people don't get railroaded into stuff like that's why it's supposed to be the certain mm-hmm. way where if there is a reasonable doubt you have to prove them guilty not prove them innocent exactly and that that gets forgotten the latter drives sometimes. me crazy right it's forgotten sometimes 
Um, so there were nine fingerprints also found in Gloria's room. None of them were Blakeman's. Ruby Tweedy's car and home were also fingerprinted, none of them matching Blakeman. Uh, there was a witness at the party that testified that Blakeman actually caught a ride home with them and slept on their couch. Like, so he was not, he was on their couch. Yeah. Because so, he was just like, I just went and slept. So I just that left was the, the party and went to sleep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just crazy to me. This whole thing was like, how did they even think that this was going to get charged? I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, so the trial lasted for six and a half weeks. They still went to trial, even with all of this. Um, and it lasted that long because they tried really hard to show Mm -hmm. that it was him. And the jury deliberated for two and a half days because there was a lot of stuff to go through since they had so much testimony. Mm -hmm. Um, Blakeman was found not guilty of all charges. Not surprised. Well, that's good. After his acquittal, he said... All he planned on doing was going back to Seattle and picking up work again. He also said he planned to marry his girlfriend at the time. So that was like on his docket for when he was getting back. Mm -hmm. And then he fell into obscurity and his life now is unknown, which I think is good because if if he didn't do anything, then I don't think it's something that he should still be harassed about, you Mm -hmm. know? So they don't really know what happened to him, but obviously nothing's come up on his records again. And so most likely, I feel like he wasn't the culprit. I had just a couple crazies, I think, (sighs) unfortunately. And the saddest part about this is no one really knows what happened to Gloria Dawn Collins. Yeah, Um, like what? They don't, well, they know what happened, but they don't know why. They don't know exactly they have no idea who did this they don't have a lot of leads because they basically focused on this one guy Mm -hmm. right in the beginning and at after a certain amount of time it's hard to find new leads because you don't have all of the right all of the stuff intact in physical like I can go there and see it type Mm -hmm. of condition so I don't know if it will ever for sure get solved because there was no dna left behind really um because he didn't there was no rape or anything right so i don't know unless someone comes forward and does like a deathbed confession now that it's 60 years later you know almost i don't know if it'll ever get solved which is real sad I know. Poor Gloria. I feel bad because it was like she was on vacation. She literally was just about to go home. I was just on vacation. I was trying to relax. I was relaxing. I made friends. And I got murdered from this creep in my closet. Yeah. Well, and imagine like her family who was hosting her to stay at their house. How, right. how shitty would that be? Like, oh yeah, she's safe, she can come here, stay here, whatever, and then We're just gonna throw her a little party where she fucking dies, like, that's- It's just so, ugh. That was a good story, good job. Thanks! Like I said, it was so random. I get you. (laughs) It's weird that at the end of everything, we said, good story, like, that was such, such a good story, it's so heartfelt and warming, just kidding, she fucking died. Well, yeah, but I think if someone's listening to our podcast, I think they understand that we don't mean like, yay, great story. I love everything about it. I think we mean, hey, good job finding a story more than. Way to do your job. 
yeah way to do your job kid good job you done good, good. you you done good kid <clears throat> i took uh, a lot on my voice i know i was just gonna say i don't know how you got so clear all of a sudden <laughs> that was that was really open the throat <laughs> really open that throat oh yep look right. at us just like sit lit back relax and all cool and i'll shoot some b-ball outside the school Slain a couple of guys they were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood i got in one little fight and my mom got scared said you're moving with your auntie and uncle the belly <laughs> okay we need to stop <laughs> uh all right guys so watch for episode 75 yeah we're gonna do i've got i'm excited yeah amanda's really gonna like it it's right up her alley and we all know uh-huh. how much she likes things up her alley uh is there conspiracy mm-hmm. is there cannibalism no okay is there abuse yes okay 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 you probably know what it is now i don't know i don't, I don't, I know. don't know all right well thanks for listening we love you guys thanks for all the support um follow us on the stuff facebook instagram i'm not even gonna pretend we do twitter at isw no, twitter the podcast. Fucking, twitter's fucking stupid whoever's on twitter get off it and so- read a book <laughs> read a book uh and then you know go ahead and interact with us feel free to comment you guys can post shit on our page like i'd take it if you find something funny we got a few people like joe and jesse and terry will post stuff here mm-hmm. and there when they find stuff so you guys feel free we like funny things we don't see we like funny things we we like funny things we do see i like those too you know <laughs> All right, you get some rest there, pumpkin. Um, spread the word. Spread yourselves, but not too much. Or the virus. <laughs> yeah. Don't get sick. Wash your hands. Just be Just smart. Don't sneeze in people's eyes. Yeah, no. If somebody faces. sneezes, if somebody sneezes in your eyes, you should take a shower. <laughs> wash your eyes. <laughs> wash. Wash your eyeballs. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Peace. I don't know why I said that. Peace. I, I feel stupid now. Okay. <laughs> you should. <laughs>